Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-458 of the Run Run Live podcast. Yes, sirree. So this week's show is going to be a bit of a special show, or an outlier of sorts. We will be deviating from our standard format. It's a scary thing, I know, but bear with me. You may ask, why? Well, because I'm lazy. Lazy, lazy, lazy. And when someone drops a pre-recorded interview into my lap that I have done scant effort in creating or editing, I am not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Because it may be filled with angry Greeks who have been camping out on the beach outside the walls of your city for two years. I mean, wouldn't the smell have given them away? I guess everybody smelled a bit earthy in the Bronze Age, but I digress. And by now, anyone who was listening to this show for the first time might be reconsidering their life choices. Yeah. So, I got a random email from Sherry's people. (laughs) Her people. Talk to my people, but my people is me. I got an email to come on her podcast and talk about fitness, and I asked if I could use the recording. So, here you go. It looks like it's about 45 minutes long. It's Sherry interviewing me for her show. So, I'll stick in a quick intro and an outro, and then let you suffer the cringe-worthy nature of me trying to sound interesting and enthusiastic. (laughs) My knee is still, still hurts, still hurting. It's got this one position where I get a sharp pain in the weight-bearing motion. So I got more doctor work to do. I got a couple easy runs in this week, but mostly I've been lifting heavy at the gym. And I'm good at this lifting at the gym. I can knock out five sets of two muscle groups in an hour, like nice big sets. And I can knock out three sets in like 40 minutes. I don't mess around. I know what I'm doing, and I go from exercise to exercise. And if somebody gets in my way, I switch to an alternate exercise, and I just keep moving. I got a nice long ride in yesterday in the cold rain with my buddies. 
My old bike, my ancient steel racing bike, Fujisan, is in the shop getting serviced. Um, but I still wanted to go ride with the guys. So I figured I'd take my Motobicane 29er mountain bike. But right now it's got the mud knobby tires on it with the big knobs. And that's really hard to keep up with people on road bikes pushing that much rubber. So I came up with a plan Friday. Yeah, Friday I came up with a plan for the Saturday morning ride. I would go and get and put a set of less aggressive tires on my Niner so I could keep up with the guys. So I went online, found some at the local Walmart, ordered them for pickup. I went and grabbed them Friday afternoon before I hit the gym. And ironically, as I was in the gym, <laughs> I got a text that said, hey, your bike's ready, but yeah, we're closing at five o'clock in like 10 minutes, right? And uh, yeah, we won't be open for the holiday weekend. So it's 4th of July here. So basically, we've got your bike, it's ready, but we're closing in five minutes and we're not going to be here for the next three days. So <laughs> have a nice weekend. When I got home, I hunted around for my tools and went to crack those new tires on there for that morning ride. And I lifted them out of the bag and they're 26 inch tires. And my bike is a 29er, so game over. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back in the jungle, I'm texting Frank and he says, hey, why don't you take my extra road bike? My, I think he's got a Cervelo. He asked me, hey, what size shoe do you have? Because, you know, we're all riding those clip-ins. And I say, size 12. And I'm not going to fit into your little princess shoes. But bring your pedal wrench and we'll spin your pedals out and spin my mountain bike pedals in and we'll be good to go bro. And that's what we did. <laughs> and it took the three of us, all three of us, old guys, out in the parking lot in the, in the freezing rain. <laughs> Not freezing rain. It's about 55. So a little cold rain. You know, because you got to figure out which way the pedals come off because the left one spins in backwards. And uh, we got his pedals out, which he hadn't taken out for like over 10 years. So they're frozen in there. We got his pedals out, we spun my pedals in, and then I could wear my shoes, uh, and it worked, and we got, uh, we rode 40 miles in a cold rain, so that's a good workout, and that's my intro story for you. So enjoy the interview with Sherry, and check out her podcast, it's called Fall in Love with Fitness. I like that, don't you like that? Fall in Love with Fitness. And it might just be the thing for you to get motivated about your summer fitness routine. The links are in the show notes. On with the show. And now for today's featured interview. If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. 
I found running in 2002 during a time in my life where I had made a commitment to rebuild my strength and get rid of back pain for good. Now, during that time, I had been told for so many years that I wasn't allowed to train anymore. I wasn't allowed to do sports, and I certainly was not allowed to put any impact on my low back because it could lead me to another surgery. So I listened to this advice for so many years until one day I decided that I didn't want to live this way anymore. I just wanted to listen to my body. I wanted to honor my body, and I knew that there was more there for me. So I walked into the gym. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I just started copying everyone around me, observing what they were doing and implementing them myself. Over a span of a few weeks, I realized that my back pain was almost gone. I was coming off of my pain medication and finding a new sense of purpose around my athleticism. So I decided to purchase a treadmill and I started just running a couple minutes at a time, doing a lot of walk-run intervals. Until before I knew it, I was running 60 minutes without stopping. Running has become such an important part of my life. It's a time where I get to meditate. I get to connect with myself. I get to connect with nature and feel my body in motion. Now, I know for many of us, it's hard to get started because it's daunting. There's so many aspects to it. How do we breathe? What's the pace like? How fast should I be going? But I want to tell you that no matter where you are in your journey, no matter how fast or slow you are, no matter how many times you stop to walk, you are a runner. Today on the show, we are talking about everything running with Chris Russell, endurance athlete. Chris has competed in over 65 marathons, and in 2021, he'll run his 21st Boston Marathon. Chris started his running journey in his 30s when he decided one day that he needed to make a change around his health and fitness. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of form and how to get started and make running a part of your lifestyle. Now, athletes, recovery is super important when we're talking about training and running. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and download my six-week transformation meal plan from fallinlovewithfitness.com. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So, Chris, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) So you've ran over 65 marathons. You don't even remember how many marathons you've run. It's been that many. And you've been running now for over 20 years. How did you find running? So I've been running my whole life. And, you know, I remember my first memory of running, uh, two memories, right? My dad, I remember, used to go with my uncle. Uh, They're both both deceased at this point, but they used to go running on the the abandoned rail trail in town uh, just to get in shape, right? Because their generation, they all came out of the Army or the forces, so... If they need to get in shape, they'd go running, right? And I can remember trying to keep up with those guys when I was really little. And then also, uh, I remember being impatient and trying to race the school bus to school instead of waiting for the bus, hmm. just take off running because school was about, yeah, about two miles from my house. So, uh, yeah, but no, when I, uh, when I was in high school, I started running cross country for, uh, to, 
frankly, it wasn't my sport. I only ran cross country to get in shape for wrestling season and <laughs> wrestling was my sport and running was how you got in shape for it. So I ran cross country and that was good because I learned how to run. And then as I got later into my life, running is something that's very portable, mm-hmm. right? It's very easy. You really don't need that much, mm-hmm. right? You need a, a patch of ground and that's it. Yeah. And you can run. So in my career, I've done a ton of traveling mm-hmm. all over the world, all over the country, uh, uh, all over U.S., Canada. Like I, I told you, I used to have an office in Quebec City. Mm-hmm. So running, being portable, anywhere you go, you can just take it with you, mm-hmm. right? And wake up in the morning, point in one direction, and run. Right? right, right. And yet I find it's one of those exercises or sort of sports that is the hardest to get into for many of us. Just starting that discipline of running or finding our pace is oftentimes daunting. Yeah, it is. It, it has a shelf on the front of it where you have to get past um, it being hard, right? Mm. And you have to sort of get, it's like any other habit. You have to get through the first 20 days, 30 days before you start to have those glimpses. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm recovering from a, a knee injury right now. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was on the treadmill in the gym last night, and it was just hard. I had to stop, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to give yourself a break and realize that the process, no matter where you're starting, is going to be hard, Mm -hmm. and then embrace that, Mm -hmm. right? So flip it around. It's good because it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. And then the hardness becomes a reward. Right, right. And many of us are are oftentimes not patient to sort of see it through, right? We start, it's hard. We start to compare ourselves with other people. We notice other people are running faster. We have certain expectations on ourselves that we should be running faster, longer distances, really, really quickly at the beginning of that sort of endeavor. How could you break it down for somebody who is wanting to just get started? So... The, the key is to have a, a long, longer-term outlook, right? It's good to have short-term goals, but you have to have a long-term outlook. And like you said, you can't compare yourself to other people. And the person that I am most guilty of comparing myself to is a younger version of myself, mm-hmm. right? When I get out there and something doesn't work or doesn't go the way I wanted to do it, because I remember I used to be able to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Or I used to be able to run this this pace. You have to let all that stuff go. So there's a fair amount of uh, meditation involved, right? You have to you have to embrace what you have and be grateful for what you have. Right. right. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Runners in general, though, if you know if you're not if you go to a a, a race, a, fi- a local 5K, or a trail race or whatever it is, runners in general are very friendly. It's a friendly group of people, a very social group of people. So don't be afraid to go out and join mm-hmm. because they, they, it's not like a triathlete group where they're going to laugh at you and try to lose you. <laughs> the, runners, the runners will be nice to you, right? And they'll encourage you, yeah. even if you're the last person. Mm. It's interesting. I, I've actually I, I've heard that before about triathletes. And it's interesting how there's a little bit of a stigma when it comes to each type of sport. Yeah, I could tell you some stories. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> tell me some stories about the triathlons I've I've been in. Um, also, you've done triathlons. Yeah, those guys are really tightly wrapped, and it's great. I mean, that's a sport that fits that personality type, right? That's the your type A, 
you know, go-getter kind of person, right? Right. And in some sense, the shorter distances, the elite runners are the same way. When you start getting into trail races or ultra races or mountain races, uh, those folks, they are the friendliest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And you'll find the elites will be waiting at the end of those races to to shake hands with everybody who crosses the finish line. Right. right? So, yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of patience to even go through that experience and to run such distances. So what is the longest distance that you've run? So I ran um, a 100-miler um, mm-hmm. a couple of years back, uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. And just because I needed a challenge for that year. Um, so I've run that's 100 miles. I've run 50K. I've run 50 miles. My sweet spot was always the marathon, the road marathon. Um, but I, I, as I get older, I really like the trail running better, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's a lower impact on your body and it's almost, uh, like cross training, right? I'm sure you talk all the time about cross training and not being too specific. Mm-hmm. That's how you break yourself. Right. Um, trail running gives you that sort of side to side, um, stability and that sort of thing. If you can do it right. Right. Yeah. I'm a trail runner. And I, I used to run on the road. That's actually how I started running. And then I found the trails. And for me, it's a great way to change scenery. Even though I'm running the same route every single time, the fact that it's a different season and, you know, it's it just smells different. It looks different. It always gives me that new stimulation. And it's so nice to be out in nature as well. Right. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll, you'll just have an epiphany, right? You'll round a corner and there'll be a couple of deer you know, in the sunshine and you'll have that Disney moment. It makes everything, everything wonderful. Right. Yeah, For sure. So you ran at one point to just keep up with your fitness and, and sort of to be able to do your sport, but how did running become your sport later in life? So, like I said, it was something I knew how to do because I was, I, I could do it in high school. Um, but then when I got into my twenties, you know, I had a job married right? Doing all that stuff. I just let it go. Mm. Uh, And at some point in my mid thirties, I looked in the mirror, like so many of us do. Mm. And I said, Whoa, you know, that's not where I want to be. And the only thing I really need to knew how to do was run. So I, that's, I started doing it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just, there's a, there's a, there's a very common sort of entry point and addiction curve for runners, right. For amateur runners, where they'll come in, they'll start running and say, well, now I need to do something with this, right? I'm running three days a week. Maybe I need to do something with this. Oh, I'll run this 5K. Then they run the 5K and they have such a blast. They go, okay, I'm going to run a 10K. And then they have a blast and they go, I'm going to run a half marathon. And then before you know it, they're running seven days a week. They're doing ultras, right? So it has this, uh, like I said, this sort of uh, crazy positive feedback loop that pulls people in and I got mm-hmm. on the same treadmill. And then, you know, I started podcasting um, about my experiences probably 12, 13 years ago and writing, right? So the podcast was just an outgrowth of writing. I used to write for Cool Running and oh. uh, and Active.com, do um, race articles. And so all of that, you know, it helps, right? It's all, like I said, a positive feedback loop. You're right. doing it, you're writing about it. And everybody really likes that, right? Because you can share the emotions. Right. But, and the other thing that happened back back um, then was we started getting all the social media, all the social stuff, right? right. So now, instead of being that one crazy dude up at 6 o'clock in the morning running 20 miles in my hometown, I'm now a member of a tribe 
<laughs> that includes all these other crazy people up at five o'clock in the morning running circles in their hometown. Right. Right. Yeah. So well, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful way to come together for the exact same cause and, and desire and result that you all want. Right. Yep. Definitely. Yep, a lot of, together. And, and it gives you that support that you might not normally get. You talk about how do I get started? How do I make it part of my lifestyle? Um, you need to have people that help you, that support you. Because you've, I'm sure you've talked about this more often than not, you have people who don't support you. Right. They see you getting fit as a threat to them somehow. Right. Right. Yeah. I really like that you say that because it's, it actually is really true. And, and, you know, I, I talk about this often in, in some of my other shows that we are the product of the five people that we spend the most time with. And especially if I'm looking to create a massive shift around my health and fitness, I have to make sure that I'm set up in that right environment, set up with people who are already doing it, who have the same goals as me and who will help me get out of that, that sticky point once I I'm there. Right. Because it may seem really easy to start off with and, and things are all falling into place, but then something happens down the road. A life event happens. And that's where that support group then becomes very, very important to pull us out. Yeah. And listening to your, you know, your, your talks on this, one of the things that I didn't hear, but it's implied, right? You have to be a little bit selfish, mm. not destructively selfish, but you got to stand up for yourself, mm. right? When somebody says, hey, you know, I'm scheduling this, you have to say, that's great, but I got to get my run in, right? And like you said, you make that a priority. Right. If I get my run in today, everything else is gravy, right? right. And so the, I, I'm, this is going to be um, probably offensive to some people, but uh, the best way to get anything done in fitness is to get it first thing in the morning. Yeah. So if you're struggling with balance, do it first thing in the morning because after that, everything is gravy and you may not be able to hit it with the same energy, but you'll get it done. If you leave it till later in the day, it will uh, inevitably slide to the bottom of your list and you'll be too exhausted to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. There's Especially always when you're starting out. Exactly. There's always something that ends up happening the day that derails us. But I, I do agree. Putting it that first hour in the morning, especially if it's something that's hard to get to, especially if we know that our day gets busy, it's the best way to commit. Right. And the other thing you talk about, which is absolutely true, is just do something. Right. Yeah. If you can get out for 10 minutes, that's checking the box. If you yeah. you got to check the box. Right. Even if you had a, you know, an hour and a half tempo run on the calendar, life got in the way get those 10 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happened so many times I, I would have an hour scheduled for a run and then all of a sudden something would get in the way. I'd be on a call for too long or I'd, you know, something or other. And I would only have about 20 minutes left. So instead of saying, Oh, I only have 20 minutes left. Forget it. I make those 20 minutes an all out sprint. Right. Yeah, and, the, and then the, then the little voices start, right? Yeah. They go, well, you can skip this one. You know, this one, oh, you'll double up tomorrow, right? You right. Say, no. Right. So that's another secret. And this is, you know, this is really true when you start to get to ultra distances is you commit ahead of time. Right. You say, I'm not walking off that course unless there's a bone sticking through my skin. <laughs> right. That's when I'm leaving. Right. That's when I'm quitting. And you make that commitment ahead of time. You know, that's an outlandish example, but it, it really, because then you carry that commitment through you in the race. And when those little voices start, oh, you're tired, you're thirsty, your stomach's upset, 
you can just put a clamp on those and say, no, mm. this is what we committed to. Right. 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 I had a, a few episodes ago or s- several episodes ago, I had a, um, I had a guest on Dan Grebe and he was talking about identifying the difference between real pain and fake pain. And right. so fake pain is pain that goes away as soon as we stop the activity. And so those are the side stitches, those are the cramps, those are, you know, the little little things in our body that our, our mind is creating for us. And yep. then the real pain is a, is a true pain. I think you mentioned your knee pain, sort of having, not only having to, to stop you from activity, but it's probably something you feel all day long. So that's more real pain and that needs to be addressed. So for me, I, I realize that's sort of the questions I ask myself when I train, when something shows up for me and I feel like stopping or I feel like avoiding a particular exercise, I ask myself, is this real pain or fake pain? Right. Yeah. So as soon as I stop that activity, it goes away. Well, you know, maybe it's more in my head than it is actually physically in my body. Yeah. And that I think it I think your body throws that stuff up as a test a Mm. lot of times, especially with running. You know, you'll be out. I don't know, you know, 20 minutes in and something will hurt. You'll get a sore something sore somewhere. And if you stick with it for five minutes or two minutes or 10 minutes, it just goes away. And it's like a phantom thing, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So a lot of time, I think it's just your body manifesting something to, to test you, right? Right. So running is high impact, right? And we all know this and, and it's a repetitive motion. So for sure with repetitive motions, it sets us up more for, let's say, higher probability of having an injury then some other exercises that are a little bit more dynamic and we get to switch up a little bit. So what has your experience with injury been throughout your entire career? And now Chris smiles and he's like, okay, here we go. Of course, I'm a typical runner, right? <laughs> right. So I always do too much too fast and I, I try to get to the edge but not go over it. Um, so I've had all the typical runner injuries. Um, but, you know, what you learn is you have to you have to you have to start at the basic level mm-hmm. and that is form right running form you have to have clean form because if you have any little hitch in your mechanics uh that's going to manifest as an injury at some point as you bring the training volume and the training intensity up now if you don't care about volume and intensity then you're fine right just do galloway run walk or whatever it is and keep the intensity and the volume down, you'll be fine. You probably mm-hmm. won't get injured. You get injured when you either change something abruptly, like going from roads to trails, you know, abruptly, or you um, change the intensity and volume, right? So I'm training for a race. I'm doing speed work, tempo work. Something's going to pop, right? I'm going to get some tendonitis, mm-hmm. right? So I, it comes down to having clean form, and then you can look at the other stuff, which I'm sure you talk about all the time, which is cross-training, strength, and balance. Mm-hmm. So there's certain parts of your core that you use in running uh, that if you let them get, again, misaligned or weak, it's going to manifest as an injury someplace. And the injury isn't always the place that's weak. The injury is could be in your ankle, but it's because of something you have in your hips, right? right. Um, so all those things. Right. I think you, you know, you hit on a really, really solid point here, Chris, and with every type of sport and every type of activity that we dive into, form is so key. And I, you know, just before this call, I I was treating someone and he was asking me, 
don't you find that CrossFit is so intense? And don't you find that there's a lot of injury in CrossFit? And I answered the exact same way. I said, well, it all comes down to form. So form is number one. And then number two is ego, right? It's I should do more. I expect more of myself. Someone else is doing better than me. And coming back to that sort of comparison statement that we made earlier, right? So if we're focusing on form as being our, our primary thing that we want to establish before we start adding on intensity and start adding on volume, no matter what activity it is, we're going to have a much better gradual setup to be able to avoid that injury over time. Yeah, that early investment in form yeah. will pay off dividends down the road. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm back in the gym right now. I'm lifting heavy again because, I'm like I said, I got an injury in my knee. And and luckily, I at some point in my early in my life, I worked out with a guy who was a junior Miss New, Mr. New York or something. He was a, an actual bodybuilder. So he taught me the proper form. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can hurt yourself, like you said, doing anything. Right. If you don't have the right form. Right. Right. So, so just rewinding a little bit, your your training. You mentioned something like you're running five to seven days a week earlier. Yeah. So when I first started in my 30s, I would run seven days a week. Okay. Right? And that was kind of my lipness test. My base would be, you know, if I could knock out 35 miles in a week. You know, I was ready to start training. Right. Right. And then when you start training, the training would add in uh, two days of speed work, right? Speed and tempo, heavy speed and tempo, and then a long run on the weekends if you're training for a, to race a road marathon. And we're talking about qualifying for Boston, right? So I had to take time off the end. So you don't have to just do the distance. You have to, I don't want to scare anybody, but you know, it's, it's fairly intense for it's a mediocre so athlete. I love this. I love this. <laughs> a mediocre athlete like myself, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wrote a book about this training cycle. Um, I can't do it anymore because it would break me, but uh, I used to do this in my thirties to, mm-hmm. to do that. Now, if you're training for an ultra, that's low intensity, but more hours, right? Not talking about miles anymore. You're talking about hours, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when I ran my hundred, my longest run was a weekend overnight where I started at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night and finished at noon on a Saturday, right? And that's, that's a surreal experience running through the night, Mm -hmm. right? When you're out there at two 30 in the morning in the woods and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and again, that's, it's great though. It's an adventure, right? right? You, you learn so much about yourself when you push yourself and do these things. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel so alive. I could just imagine at two 30 in the morning running in the woods, everyone else is sleeping and yet you're here committing to you. It's pretty badass, No, Chris. Yeah. It's weird what it does to your brain when you start getting into those longer multi-hour runs because you lose big chunks of time. Mm. Like you'll look at your watch, it'll be 2.30, then you'll look at your watch again, it'll be 5. And you don't know how you got there, mm. right? So the, you have this sort of time dilation that goes on in your brain. Um, and it's, yeah, it's cool. It's like being in the zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're running all of that volume that you just mentioned, five to seven days a week with your training plan, where does conditioning fit in? So let's say inside the gym, strengthening and making sure that you're nice and structured to be able to handle yeah. that volume. Yeah. When I was, when I was younger, um, I would do 
just simply before and after every run, run, I would do a simple stretching routine for, you know, Achilles, hamstring, Mm -hmm. uh, quads, and do a simple um, body weight for, you know, two sets of leg lifts, sit-ups, push-ups, you know, 20 Mm -hmm. reps, right? Just simple before and after every run. And that kept me strong enough to run because my focus then was running. It wasn't, you know, fitness. Right. Um, so, but when you're doing that kind of intense training with the speed work, the speed work itself becomes strength training. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some, there's some bleed over there, probably the wrong word choice into your fitness. If you're mm-hmm. doing a lot of speed work mm-hmm. now, as I got older, then you start, you start, you know, right now I would maybe max out at five days a week mm-hmm. in running. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't do that kind of volume of speed and tempo. Sorry, that's my dog. He's my running buddy. <laughs> nice. um, so, so what you um, what you end up doing is you have to start working in specific fitness, right? Mm-hmm. And as a runner, most of that is going to be body weight fitness, right? Functional fitness, right? So a lot. So you know, if you're using weights at all, you're using light dumbbells, right? Right. So, so you're doing. Focusing on strength endurance more, right? Lean, lean muscle, right? right? So yeah. low, low, um, low weight, high rep, right. you know, two, three sets and do that two, three times a week with your running. And that right. keeps you, keeps you fit, especially the core. You got to really focus on the core because mm-hmm. that's what carries you. Mm-hmm. So what made you commit to your first marathon? Um, okay. So that's a, that's a funny story. I don't know if it's funny or not, but I do remember the story. So I, one of my buddies from high school uh, lived near, and he, uh, we started running again. And this was in, like I said, this is like I was probably 34. Um, we started running again just for fitness. And he turned to me one time and said, hey, why don't we run the marathon? And, of course, where I live, right, when you say the marathon, everybody knows what the marathon is, right? That's the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. And I said, Okay. And uh, we didn't even know you had to qualify or anything. So that first year, we just went to Hoppington and jumped in. And and it, uh, it almost killed me. I, I mean, it, it was awful. It was terrible. I probably ran, I probably had a really good time. I probably ran like a 340 something at the time because I was young, but it was awful. And I was so mad. I was so mad at myself because I considered myself a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, I considered myself a runner. I said, you know, how could you do this poorly? And so that right after that, I hit the track uh, and started training for real. Mm-hmm. And then the following fall, I qualified uh, in Lowell with a 309 mm-hmm. and uh, took that into my That's first cool. real Boston in 1998. Mm. That's amazing. And it's interesting and how you've run 20, 20 of them since then. That's amazing. That's so 20 Boston marathons, but minimum, I think you said minimum 65 total. Yeah. Yeah. So I've run most of the big ones. I run, uh, New York, Chicago, Marine Corps, those guys for a while there. I was, I was being sponsored because I, I was, uh, I was internet famous for running for a while. Mm, Interesting. So interesting. So how, how do you go from being a runner to having this become a part of your identity and a part of your lifestyle. 
So how do we go from goal? I just want to accomplish this particular goal and, and finish a marathon or a 5K or whatever that is to this becoming a part of who you are and what you do. Yeah, and I think that you make the decision that it's a lifestyle, not an event, mm-hmm. right? And then you figure out how that works. Um, one of you have to take a you have to say I'm going to do this for life, mm-hmm. right? So if I have to do this for life, what do I have to do now to make this a lifelong pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. And so you just consider that, and then within the year, I've always looked at years as seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have a, you know, you have a summer season, a fall season, a winter season, right? Maybe a spring season. And if you look at the way races are set up, they're kind of set up that way. Right. And what you want to do is you want to try not to be so specific. So I'd always be training hard for Boston in the spring. But after that, I learned if you want to stay healthy, you got to stop. You got to go train for a triathlon or train for Mm -hmm. a mountain race or do something else to to not only help your body but help your mind right Interesting. so you don't get exhausted by it and then as you you build those seasons into your life it has a nice cadence to it right and then you have the community that's wrapped around that and it yeah it's fun right become something you can't do without that's very interesting. So you essentially finish up a race and then you you sort of cross train, you switch to something else, just possibly for recovery. And then you come back to that training sort of routine and to work your way up to the next race. Right. And, but, you know, we're all goal-based and we need something to train for. Right. So, you know, you say, what can I train for that is, you know, different and will, but, but the same, right? Mm-hmm. So what's uh, synergistic with what I'm doing. So triathlons are in typically summer sports. Mm-hmm. So you do a 12, 12 week triathlon training That's you're not going to lose any fitness. You're actually going to gain fitness and then you could run a race in the fall if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Right. And then the winter season, everybody kind of lays low and just sort of, yeah, just sort of tries to get healthy. And then in January, you start all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned we're all goal oriented, right? So we're focused on goals and that's that's definitely what initially drives us, right? It, it helps us create a plan. It creates accountability, especially if we've signed up for a race. But do you feel that we would be able to create that same discipline without a goal? It's difficult, mm-hmm. right? It's difficult. And especially we, a lot of us learned this over the last year when we had you know, COVID and the lockdown is if you don't have something to train for, it's hard to stay engaged. Mm. Um, and so your training tends to be more all over the place and not as structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not structured, you're not getting the most benefit out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you just, you know, I mean, if you show up at the gym every day at your gym and just, all right, what am I going to do today? You're probably not going to see a lot of gains. Right. Right? right. So there has to be, so the goal helps us structure is my point. Right. And it can be a virtual goal. You can say, eh, I'm going to aim for a half marathon in September. Right. Right. You don't have to actually buy the, you know, the entry fee or anything. Right. Although that helps if you pay money, that helps. Yeah. 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 You know what? I I completely agree with you. Definitely. We have to have that, that goal, that outcome that we desire. And, and we also have to be mindful of how we structure it. Right. I can't just say my goal is to be strong. Because right. what does that mean? Like compared to what? But if I instead say, well, my goal is to do 10 push-ups in a row or to get my first pull-up. Well, now I have a goal. I have something to work towards. And I hear this often too. I, I want to run. I want to be a runner, right? Or I want to get in the best shape of my life. 
But what, yeah. does, what does that mean? What, what will you do when you're in the best shape of your life? What is the activity that you'll be able to do? And then now it's measurable. So if I change my goal, I can make it measurable. I, I can, I have feedback. I can pivot if it's not working. I can make some changes to make sure that I'm always progressing. Right. And to your point, um, if you're just starting out and you're struggling to keep that, you know, to you, you know, you're one of those people who have started a hundred times but never gotten past the two week mark, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. All right. Give yourself the win. Keep it simple. If if all it is 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 a one minute plank, okay, that's good, right? Keep it simple. Give yourself the win. Because people tend to with their goals, like you said, they'll say, Oh, I want to run a half marathon and I and I, and I want to lose 20 pounds and I want to set a PR. Pick one, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not, uh, it, you, you overwhelm yourself and then you just give up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Especially with weight loss, right? I see a lot of people go into running or you probably see this as well, CrossFit, where they just want to lose weight. And it's like, don't focus on that. Right. Focus on the form, focus on the sport. The weight will follow. Right. It yeah. will. Yeah. And like you said earlier, and focus on the lifestyle, because if, if I do all these things to help release weight and then I stop doing all these things that helped me release weight, well, I'm just going to go backwards. Right. Yeah. And understand that you're, you're, you're being a leader, right? You may think you're struggling, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but you're being a leader. Other people are looking at you. Right. So think about yourself and your small activity as a, as dropping a pebble into the pond, mm-hmm. right? Those ripples keep spreading. It's spread across the whole pond. So I'm always surprised when I get a note from somebody who I don't know, who knows the heck out of me because I've been new with a podcast, right? Um, And they say, you've changed my life or you've helped me or or, I'm sure you get those as well, Mm -hmm. right? And that just makes you feel great for a couple of days. So never forget, though, you could be that person who's coming in last in a 5K. That's okay. You just inspired somebody because you were brave enough to do that, to get off the couch. Right, right. Right. And frankly, we need more of those than the elites Mm -hmm. because the elites don't inspire anybody. It's too far of a reach. Mm. Yeah, I really like what you said. And and one of the things that you you kind of mentioned earlier was have the win, you know, and I think we forget about that because we're always looking for the next big thing. And we're in this constant scarcity mindset. It's not good enough. There's still more, you know, that one minute plank. I have to celebrate the fact that I held a plank for one minute. And not focus on the fact that it was not long enough, that someone yeah. else is holding it for longer. And it's, it's not me and it's taking me too long, you know? Yeah. Yep. Got to be, got to be grateful. Gratitude will fix a lot of things. Yeah. It's hard to be depressed or upset if you're grateful. Right. So how do we get through our obstacles? And especially injury, because I think with, with, with many athletes, it's, it's something that we face every now and then, whether we got injured in our sport or outside of our sport, how do we get through that? So it, it takes, it's not easy, right? First of all, it's not easy, right? You and I can say a lot of, a lot of fancy words, but it's not easy, right? It, it, you, I'm, I'm going through it right now, mm-hmm. right? I've gone through it in the past where you lose six months, mm-hmm. right? Because when it first happens, when you first get that injury, you're like, I'll take a couple weeks off, mm-hmm. Right. But then it cascades, right? And it's something bigger than that. And so you have to have that patience and you have to take the long view because I'm here to tell you that you may have to take 18 months off, but after that 18 months, you're going to come back. 
Mm-hmm. Right? There's light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. because I've done that. Right? But you say that with such certainty, Chris. You say you'll come back after 18 months, right? Many of us get injured and then we can't see that coming back ever happening again. So yep. how do we stay positive? It's it's hard, right? It's hard. You have to practice, you know, it's it's all the old things that we say about um, creating a, a positive mental attitude, right? right? All those old tricks, whatever tools work for you, Um and it, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, it's gonna be hard sometimes. You're gonna be crying in your oatmeal. Yeah. Um, but you gotta, you gotta have patience. Um, because one thing that I can tell you because of where I am in my life is there is light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. right? If it takes 18 months, you'll get back. Mm-hmm. It may not be the same as it was, but you'll get back to the point mm-hmm. where it's part of your life again. And that's the long view, right? Take the long view. It's not about what's happening this week or next week or this year even. It's how do I spread that over a lifetime? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you're injured, you can always swap, right? There's always other stuff you can substitute, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, my knee's kind of screwed up right now. Nothing says I couldn't say, okay, I'm going to go do a biathlon. I'm going to bike and swim, Right. right? Right. So it sounds like you're saying have patience and have faith that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, no sugar coating. It is hard. It's it's going to suck for a while, but you have to be adaptable and you have to be flexible and find something else to do, right? Yeah. Sub- substitute something because you it's an op- think of it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why I try to tell people about injuries, right? It's an opportunity to learn something new. Mhm. Because the injury itself and the rehabilitation of that becomes your job, right? Mm-hmm. That is now your fitness journey, right? And now that's your purpose. Right. So it's the same thing. It's just a different, a different modality. Right. Right. I love that. So now you're you're running for a, for I think a charity. I think you mentioned uh, for prostate cancer at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Is, is there behind every single run? Is there a cause? Because you also did. I believe in you did 13 marathons in 13 months between 2013 and 2014. Yeah. So I have run for a a number of charities. I I ran for the liver foundation when my, because my dad died of pancreatic cancer um, a few years ago. Um, And I do a lot of running for, um, for prostate cancer. And again, not because I have to, but because I want to, because in my age group and my sex, you know, there's a lot of prostate cancer in my life around me. Not me, but I have friends. My coach, my longtime coach is a stage four prostate cancer. And he struggles through the treatments every, every day. Mm-hmm. But it's not a death sentence. Um, so if we can, you know, anything I can do to help get the, get the word out, you know, have somebody get tested, mm-hmm. maybe prevent this, you know, so I don't lose more friends. Um, that's great. And the other um, interesting thing I ran Boston for a bunch of times was Team Hoyt. I don't know if you know Team Hoyt. They're pretty famous. So it, you, um, Dick Hoyt used to push his son, Rick Hoyt, in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who got all the races opened up for um, for challenged athletes, whether it you know, be the, the kids in the wheelchair or, or, or any of that stuff, right? He opened those doors back in the 70s or 80s. He he qualified for Boston with a 
240 something pushing Ricky in the wheelchair and Ricky's my age. So yeah, I ran for them a lot. It just gives you another way to integrate, you know, your sport with your life. Right. And I'm, I'm not a big charity guy. I can't say I'm good at it, but you know, anything I can do to help people, why not? Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. So are there any final words you want to share with us, Chris, any advice you want to give anyone who's looking into starting running or afraid to get started? Yeah. Um, that, that don't be afraid to get started. It's a very welcoming community. One of the things you can do is if you go on the internet and look for a running club in your area, you, they will welcome you, right? Tell them what you want to do. They'll welcome you. They'll help you, right? You'll have a bunch of new friends. So don't be afraid of it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what clothes you're wearing. You know, nobody cares how fast you are. You know, it's, it's a gift. It's something you can give yourself. So just start. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time with us today, Chris. Appreciate it so much. If somebody wanted to reach out and get more information from you or advice about running, where could they go? So probably a bit of a laundry list, but you can go to my website. It's run, run, live, all one word. And that has all my uh, podcasts and millions of words written on there. Um, I've also written a few books. You can access those from my website as well. And uh, I just started a fun new project. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, After the Apocalypse. It's a science fiction post-apocalyptic podcast. So uh, search for After the Apocalypse podcast and you'll you'll be in my new uh, dystopian future. Amazing. That sounds fun. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Chris. Enjoy your day. Thank you, Sherry. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for being a, a positive ray of sunshine in the world. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember, you are an inspiration. Okay, my friends, we have fallen in love with fitness to the end of episode 4-458 of the Run Run Live podcast. Grab your towel and hit the showers. So, which story should I tell you before I let you go and do your thing? Should I tell you the earwax story? I don't know. That story could be a bit off-putting. Or should I tell the apocalypse story? That's an amusing story, but it's a little short. I don't know. Why don't we do this? I'll give you the sort of punchline version of the earwax story, and we'll cap it off, no pun intended, with the apocalypse story. So why do we have earwax? What is its purpose? It seems like a bit of a design flaw to me to have this substance that gets built up and gets hung up in your ears and blocks your ear canal and you can't hear. Why? 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 
The medical term is cerumen, with a C-E-R, C-E-R-U-M-E-N, cerumen, which I figured when I saw that, I figured it would have something to do with the head or the brain because of that C-E-R prefix. Looks suspiciously like other words like cerebrum or cerebral or cerebellum, right? So I figured it would be Latin for brain wax or something. But it turns out they are not related. Cerebrum is Latin for brain and cera, that C-E-R-A, is Latin for wax. No kidding. So unimaginatively enough, cerumen is just a word for wax. And did you know earwax is 50 to 60% fat? Yeah, how about that? We secrete it or secret it <laughs> in the outer ear, in the outer ear canal to lubricate and protect the more sensitive inner workings of the ear by trapping dust and bugs and debris. It's sort of like human tree sap. Maybe eventually we could harden it up and turn it into amber. So I had an earwax event this week that I'm not going to go into, but it was devastating. It was like the, you ever, you know that scene from Alien? Yeah, it was like that except earwax. But it got me to wondering about how we would treat earwax removal in the apocalypse which has nothing to do with the apocalypse story that I'm about to tell you right now. So it turns out Sherry wasn't the only email I got asking for an interview. I got another email asking for an interview from a chap that does some sort of post-apocalypse podcast who has been listening to my After the Apocalypse podcast, my other podcast, and he wanted to interview me about it. He said, I love it. Let's interview you. I haven't talked to him yet, but I said, Core, sure. Why not? When I get these requests, I kind of Google these people and I see what they're doing. And I listen to a couple of his episodes of his podcast and I learn something new. It turns out there is a festival called Wasteland where these folks dress up like Mad Max characters and go out into the desert for a weekend. And they build a not insubstantial little town and they play Apocalypse all weekend long. This is an actual thing. And it's not just this one. There's lots of these little festivals that, where they go and do stuff like this out in the California desert. This Wasteland Festival gets 3,000 people, or they call themselves survivors, and uh, they're charging two and a quarter a head for general admission if you want to go. They have their own little economy and different tribes and all kinds. It's very complex. It's interesting. And I was joking with my daughter uh, that I'd, I would uh, play a trick on my wife. I'd tell her that I had to go to a conference or I'd say, hey, I'm getting an award, a literary award, and, I, and I'm going to go to this conference. You want to come with me? And then when we got there, I'd get in the, we'd get in the rental car and drive her into the wasteland. <laughs> that would be some good reality TV right there. So at this point, any of the new listeners who made it this far are clawing at their eyes and pouring Clorox into their ears and wondering, what the hell does this have to do with running? Where's the Border Collie? I thought there was a Border Collie. Well, guys, I am currently injured. <laughs> and Ollie the Collie and I, we did get out this morning. We ran, 
uh, about four miles, giving me a whopping nine miles for the week. But I am confident that I will be back with an exclamation point back because there are adventures ahead, my friends. And why do we even still do this podcast? Side note, side note here, editorial note. I had somebody, one of our one of our um, longtime listeners, she was looking for episode 10 this week. She was on the website and the link to episode 10 was broken. Actually, a bunch of them were broken. <laughs> I fixed them all. So if you want to download old episodes, they're all out on my website, runrunlive.com. But seriously, episode 10... My God, that's got to be cringeworthy, and the audio is going to be horrible. But here's a note that I got over the last couple of weeks. Hello, Chris. My name is blank. I'm not going to use the person's name, and I'm a blank-year-old, off-and-on runner, father of two children. I have been listening to your podcast for six or seven years now, and I have always enjoyed it. Thank you so much for that. But I also want to thank you because for the last couple of years, I've been really challenged at work, which has significantly impacted my overall happiness and work-life balance. But your always positive nuggets of wisdom helped me navigate through some difficult moments. Although admittedly, sometimes it's temporary until I get back in the office, even those brief moments have helped. So thank you very much. Your podcast is genuinely one of the bright spots of my week that helps me get through this challenging period until hopefully someday soon another opportunity presents itself. Thanks again. Take care. Have a great week. Now, there you go. I get things like this. And thank you very much for sending this. You made my week. But I think that's our lesson here, folks, right? Don't judge what you're doing. Just put yourself out there. Sort of roll with the punches. You never know what you're going to help or who you're going to help or how you're going to help them. Life indeed is short. Don't hold back. Make it count. And I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.